I was told that if we want a following on Twitch or whatever, that we need to be live in hot tubs and bikinis. I mean, you can. I was thinking about it. Strange news. I Google and then I go to my regular websites. Mostly I like to do things like pea bread or like local cryptid sightings or something of the sort to keep it interesting. Obviously, just with regards to the pea bread, I do have something that should have been said in that episode. And I do apologize. It didn't come up organically at that point. But if you're ever in a situation where you're offering people pea bread, what you need to say is, do you want to try this bread? And if they ask you about it, all you need to say is you're in for a surprise. (laughs) I'm really glad you were able to add that at a later time. So if you don't I don't know what episode it's in. Please go back, listen to all our episodes. And then tell us what episode it's in. Yes. Then we'll report back to it in the next episode if you tell us in time. (laughs) This topic that I'm about to lay on you has been coming up more and more. And I just thought it was a nice little discussion to have, keyword discussion to have prior to this weekend's topic on our podcast. I think we talked about it a little bit on the last podcast we did, which is extreme weather. Was was it the last podcast? Um, Something like that. Don't need to say it exactly. Don't worry about it. Go back, listen to it, tell us what episode it was. (laughs) You guys got a lot of homework. You do. Like you have a few episodes to find now. Just when referring to unexpected weather, we're talking about unusual, severe, or unseasonal weather, which is at extremes of historical distribution, just to set you up for this brief topic. And we could do a whole thing on this, but I thought it would be suiting for an intro. Just starting close to home, as we always do, there's a lot going on right now in BC. Well, not a lot, just forest fires. All Currently, of North America is going through fairly significant yes. weather at this moment. It's not just North America, it's the whole world. I'm going to start small on this with BC because that's where we both live in Canada, British Columbia and Canada, in case you're listening from the East Coast of the United States and outwards. Thanks for doxing us. (laughs) Currently, British Columbia has 256 active fires, 81 of which are deemed out of control and 39 of which are considered of note, which means that they are deemed highly visible or pose a potential threat to public safety. Earlier this year, I know if you were watching our live, I had a computer meltdown during a heat wave that we were having during a live. It was a huge heat wave that was felt of Western Canada and the Western United States. Yeah, I know how to which, say uh, it. It's a new term within our lingo known as a heat dome. I yeah. never had to yeah. use that word before. And no. now in a week, there's going to be another heat dome over Minnesota. And we're having another one, but it's not going to be quite as hot. Yeah, we're going to be in the high 30s again. Yeah, which I mean, it's fine for you. But for where we are, I'm in Vancouver, right? Well, I'm in the Tri-Cities in Vancouver. And this is just something we don't hear. We're typical. Our average for summer is probably about 24, 23, 24, because we're right by the ocean. Across the lower mainland, BC coast, and probably most of BC, is that we're broken. Completely broken. Like, this weather has never happened in 59 places where they're keeping records. There oh, yeah. were- we set the record in Canada for the hottest time ever in yeah. a small town called Lytton, BC. Two days in a row, yeah. it set the record in Canada 
four did. feet. And it and was then like the next day burned to the ground. Uh, and you know what? 46. I did put it in here, but then I deleted it because shortly after the whole town burned to the ground and it's very sad. People lost their homes, their businesses. It's been completely wiped out in a not thankfully fire. not a lot of people died. I, I think yeah. that's the only limelight of that. Yeah, and I mean, that hasn't happened in a while where an entire town has burnt to the ground. Um, Fort McMurray. So, yes, okay, it has happened. Um, it's, it's happened in recent past. It's all just forest yes. fire related. It is. There were 719 deaths reported during this heat wave, and it's triple what would have been considered normal during the time period. So 59 Highest temperature ever records were set just in BC. So now we have all these forest fires burning and forest fires are typical of the area. I'm not in an area that's typical of forest fires. Taylor is more in an area that's typical of forest fires, but still being where I am, it's just unheard of for it have to ever reach the temperature that it did. Yeah. And my computer melted down just to show you. So that's just me starting small and right now. Sorry, one thing yeah. I would just like to add to that. Yes, I am in a I'm in the uh, interior of BC. If you look at it, it's basically there's going to be a mountain range just kind of cutting off the Vancouver coastline from the rest of Canada. Everything east of that is considered the interior of BC. Everything west of that is considered the coast of BC. Just yeah. to keep it simple enough. The yeah, interior is very well known for getting hot, mm -hmm. especially the southern interior where I am. I'm about an hour and a half from the border of Canada, US. We are very prone to fires, but it's not seasonal yet. Generally, the forest fires start about now or start in August. Oh, really? Yeah. So this is well ahead of season for forest fires. I didn't actually know that, even though I've researched this. We have a lot of out-of-control wildfires currently happening in BC. I'm on the coast, so I'm in what would be kind of the same makeup. Uh, I'm in, a, it's technically a rainforest, so like the same you would see in Seattle and Oregon all the way down. So forest fires aren't typical here, but it's still weather that broke records for us to get that hot here. With that, not only are we talking about forest fires, I go on to talk about flooding. I don't talk about winds, but there's been winds that are um, extreme weather conditions and stuff like that. We have had just recently, the Henan province in China has recorded historic rainfalls affecting more than 470,000 people, causing many deaths. Farmers have lost everything. Roads have been obliterated. Oh. Sorry, you heard I'm, about this one? Yeah, so the main area this fell over is a city called Zhengzhou. I, Chelsea, I don't know. Thank if you've you. Heard I wasn't going to yeah. say it. Yeah, Zhengzhou. I have it written down right here. Okay, the population of Zhengzhou is ten and a half million people, mm -hmm. it's and crazy. over the city of Zhengzhou, in a one-hour time span, they got mm -hmm. twenty centimeters of rain. For those of you listening in Freedom Land, that's about eight inches of rain in an hour or about one football worth of rain on its tips because who even wants to use systems of measuring things that aren't freedom balls yeah sorry you're probably going to move on to germany as well germany received that amount of rainfall over three days and it killed about 180 people at this point in time nobody knows the official count and thousands of people are still missing in germany it was going to go on to germany yeah um there's many people who have lost their lives, many people who have lost their livelihoods. It's not just 
China and Germany dealing with this right now? Costa Rica, India, the Philippines, United States, New York just had flooding. Yeah, the East Coast. Yeah, Western Europe, which would be Germany, Belgium, London, to name a few. There's yeah. many more experiencing uh, Even London. Eastern Europe, Turkey as well has had severe flooding. Yes. And not only is it this for flooding, there's many places, including Russia and Southern Europe, experiencing at the same time as Western Europe is experiencing flooding is forest fires. Yeah. In mm-hmm. northeastern Europe, the Nordic countries, they're mm-hmm. experiencing hotter than normal temperatures and below average rainfall. And in places like Switzerland, it snowed a month ago. Like it is just what? bizarre weather. Yeah. That actually never popped up, but I probably just didn't go to like the 10 or 11 tab because there is so mm-hmm. much for news. So There's too much with people, regard to extreme weather right now. All of these countries are literally recording the worst floods and the worst weather events in decades, even hundreds of years, thousands of years, even never have been on record deaths and destruction in the wake of these extreme weather events and people losing their entire livelihoods. So I just wanted to kind of bring light to that and what's happening in the world. I mean, you see one here, one there, and you think like, oh yeah, like global warming. I, you look at it now and it's no longer something that if we continue destroying our earth, this is what our future is going to look like. This is now. Yeah. If you even put in extreme weather now, you get all these articles going, this is our future. This is what we're going to start seeing more and more now. This is our life now. This is what we're going to start seeing now in the future. Yeah. And if you guys ever want a, I have not done, despite what some of you listeners may think, a truly depressing episode yet. Hmm. If I ever did an episode on a blue ocean event or on the phytoplankton feedback loop, they're both global warming or climate change related issues. You would truly feel like what the issues are with global warming. I think maybe it's something that we should do because that's what we're about. We're about doing things that aren't normally those talked are, about and things have you that heard are of either of those terms? I have not. And okay. I don't feel like it's going to be a feel-good episode. And I'm not starting on a feel-good episode right now. This isn't a great feel-good episode either. No, I don't. Yeah. When was the last feel? Oh, the Haunted House thing was definitely a feel-good episode. It's a feel-good one. That was yeah. like one that left you with the warm fuzzies. Yeah. But I just thought like it's important to talk about because we have in the past and I mean, we did the plastic episode. It's just something that we have done to this planet and it's unfortunate and we're dealing with the consequences now and I feel like we're not doing enough and we're living it now and like it's here. It's now we're not doing enough and the earth is going to take itself back and There's a few things I wanted to talk about just to quickly summarize this up. We could have done this in a whole episode, but I was like, no, we can do it in five minutes. And now it's been more than five minutes. That's okay. This is a short episode. There's a few things I wanted to say with this. One is that all of this, yes, it's having an effect on ecosystems. And this is why we're getting Mother Nature's wrath on us now. We're getting the extreme weather. We're getting the forest fires. We're getting the tornadoes, the tsunamis, the forest fires, the everything that Mother Earth can throw at us to probably obliterate us off the face of this earth so that we stop destroying this. And we just destroy ourselves. She can do more. She can do more. She can. She absolutely can. Because I feel like this is kind of just getting started. Well, This is just going to be... I think it does need to be framed, especially at this point. Anybody who's 
not too worried about this. The earth is going to be fine. The earth is going to go on for as long as it Absolutely. can. Until, it's just trying to until fix the sun right envel now. envelops it. Humans can only exist in a very finite atmosphere. Which very fragile. Is, yeah, is very quickly diminishing on this planet and is not present anywhere else that we know of in this in the galaxy, or at least in a place that we could get to feasibly in the lifespan of a human being. It's one thing that we can't control. Oh, the two things that I just kind of wanted to say with this. Yes, it's displacing humans from their homes. It's taking away people's livelihoods with their crops and the way they make money. It's taking away a lot from the human race. And it's something that I completely feel for people who have lost their homes, who are losing their crops, their livelihoods, their jobs, do things like this. It's also affecting ecosystems. And just to give you one quick example, just because we always go, I always go with what I know. Even with the heat wave in Vancouver, it was a week of unseasonally high if not record-shattering temperatures, they're saying right now that the salmon have been greatly impacted alone because the water temperatures were so high for that time that the eggs and the spawning may be completely affected for the rest yeah. of the season. It's not only that. Over 2 billion mm -hmm. shellfish were lost in the yes. um, shoreline range. Yeah. And they're saying right Cook now alive. because of the temperatures not to eat shellfish because of the bacteria, yeah. which is, I mean, I love oysters as much as I am a vegetarian, a pescatarian, sorry for the podcast, well, pescatarian. And this I is something. I love to eat oysters and I can't right now. Okay. I just want to talk about that. So it is greatly affecting and this is, I honestly, I don't even want to think about it if this is how it's displacing us right now. And it's just having the effect on ecosystems oh, now. Yeah. And it's going to get crazy. Destruction. It is a topic I would like to cover in a future episode. Just in the ways that we randomly destroy ecosystems, just because yeah. we don't like their aesthetics. We do. Yeah. We it's not even just like this normal just... stuff. It's because we like the vanity of certain lifestyles. I'm just going to say right now, I may or may not get bleeped like three seconds from now after I say the swear, depending on the editing at the time, the human race is fucked. Just to be that blunt, we destroy ecosystems just like they're nothing. And this is all a balance to Mother Earth. And that is something that I hold. It has a balance and it's going to come back. And if this right now is destroying its own ecosystems, I just, it is red flags. It's going to be bad if we're if it is destroying its own based on heat waves and stuff like that. And that is just in BC. I can't yeah. speak for other countries. I didn't go that much in research for the starting part of this episode. Look at how the floods in China are affecting the ecosystems. I can only imagine if it's that much. But the other thing I wanted well, to touch on. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I just want to add one thing. With these floodwaters, they're going through cities. And all that water is touching the ground of the subway systems yeah. and the roads and taking everything that is on the subway system and the roads and bringing it into a river near you. Uh, which is not going to be good either. Yeah. 
And we're going to find out eventually the, no, sorry, we're never going to find out the full death toll from what happened in Zhengzhou. Um, It's a real shame. Zhengzhou is a beautiful city. It at one point was the throne of the Shang dynasty in China way back in pre-industrial times. There have been many capitals of China. Zhengzhou was at one point. Really? Yeah. But people were trying to leave Zhengzhou while this was going on through a six lane tunnel that it went to a toll road that you had to pay to leave. That tunnel flooded while this oh was gosh. going on. Early estimates of how many people died sitting in their cars in that tunnel is 5,300. Wow. I didn't even read that. Yeah. Which is, I mean, I searched and searched on the China one alone. Yeah. And I, I Honestly, didn't even come across that. I came across the subway. Your best, if you truly want to learn more about the depressing but we find ourselves in our environmental issues. Go look at the subreddit called Collapse, Our Collapse. They are going to put everything into perspective. A couple things I would just like to add at this point when we're talking about the environment. If you do not believe global warming is a thing, I would really like you to take a look at something in economics called opportunity cost, which is the idea of pursuing one form of action means that you are foregoing any other action. So... If you don't believe in global warming, you are going to forego any steps to stop it. If you're wrong, and there's only a 1% chance that you're wrong, foregoing that option in that 1% chance is incredibly bad because we are on a very bad trajectory. We are. And you know what? I used to be a person... I will argue for it right now. I'm not going to argue for it, but I'm going to give you my point of view. We're going a lot more in depth in this than I had intended. I just meant to read off my sheet of what I had and then go on with the episode. But basically every planet in our solar system has gone through warming and cooling. Including periods. the Earth. Including We've the Earth. We've gone through very significant warming and cooling phases. The dinosaurs were at about our temperatures right now. Yeah. And you know what? I go through my life and I do my podcast and I see how truly shitty humans have been to Mother Earth and what she provides to us and the animals that live here, just as we are animals living alongside them and how much we exploit what she has to give us. There's no doubt in the hand that we've had in this. Absolutely not. Take everything that she has. And now you look at what has happened with even... We eat the salmon. We farm the salmon. And even the water is too hot for the salmons to exist. We don't know what that's going to look like. There's no doubt that we've had a huge impact on this. We try to control the weather. That's the one thing that we can't control. I don't think that there's any doubt that we've had a hand in how the weather... You say that, but we can do an episode on harp or cloud seeding. (laughs) We could. and But that is in no way substantive enough to account for everything that's happened or to fix the problems that we have. I'm just throwing that out there. I mean, you know what? You're right. You're right. You're playing devil's advocate. But I mean, harp is not a global thing. Or that whole idea of contrails. Yeah. Sorry, chemtrails. Chemtrails, not contrails. I get those two things mixed up. Mm -hmm. That's not a global thing. I always believe like mother nature rules all going to come back over all of this. 
And there's no doubt. And I used to be like, oh, like when we were at minus 50 in Edmonton, I'd be like, where is your global warming now? But that's a part of it. Extreme colds, the extreme highs, extreme weather that we're seeing. Well, and just especially weather staying in one location for a prolonged period of time is conducive to a slowing down of the transatlantic current or the Pacific current. Yeah. Because and it is a change in the ratios. It, there. I'm not a scientist. No, and well, sorry, neither of me. us, neither yeah. of us have studied this specifically. Oh. If you want to learn more about this, go look for a environmental scientist to talk to, or a climate scientist to talk to about this, or listen to, yeah. because they will know more about them, this. Tell us about them, and we'll talk to them too. It is, it is legitimately terrifying looking at this and what's happening now. And when you Google it, just extreme weather, I was looking for floods and all the articles come up saying, scientists say this is the new normal that we're going to have to get used to is these extreme weather events, which is crazy. Just the last thing that I wanted to throw in here. This is coming from, we were actually having a conversation the other day just about all the flooding and everything that's happening and how it's so crazy. And this is, we were talking about it as well, you and me. And then we went out for dinner and we were talking about all this crazy flooding and everything that's been happening. I know someone very well who is a civil engineer (laughs) who brought up much different concerns. And I think that they are good concerns to be bringing to light because it's not something that I would have thought of otherwise. And I was just asking him before we went into the podcast, please explain to me. He explained to me in too much detail to even put onto this podcast because I forgot about it already. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> if you even listen to this podcast. <laughs> so which is the threat to infrastructure? Because most places that you're looking at building in any country, and he probably can't talk to any country, he can talk to only Canada. And his specific not- in Canada as well. Yes. Exactly. Most places, and it it is probably neutral against all countries, most places are not looking to build to events that never happen. No, they're building to about a one in a 50 mm-hmm. year time span. Yeah. And even there so, is a famous case out of, sorry, just to add a little bit, it's a famous lawsuit out of the UK. And they had a sufficiently cold season where water pipes froze because they didn't bury the water pipes low enough and they were sued. Mm. And I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but I remember this from property law class. Anyhow, they showed that they had built to protect themselves uh, or at least be effective for any events that would happen in a one in 50 year time scale. And Which is exactly lawsuit, what we were talking about. They the take it into consideration. Said, that that is perfectly feasible for a company to only plan to build things for a one in 50 year event. Anything longer than that shouldn't need to be taken into account. So he went into a bunch of stuff that I don't understand. And you know me, it's just right over my head. Basically, the more important the building, like hospitals and stuff like that, the more sustainable it has to be. Extreme you take into conditions like that. So he was saying, China is a one in a thousand weather condition, which is basically slim to none, which buildings are not sustained to take weather like that. And more important, the building like a hospital, the more likely it is to be built 
to sustain weather like that. Whereas less important buildings, like say, I don't. Wherever I don't, you're listening to this from, if you're not it, in the hospital, if you are, I am sorry <laughs> for your misfortune. I don't. But you're in a safe structure. I don't want to say what type of structures are less important than others. I'm just going to say a hospital is going to be one that's going to be one in a hundred, one in 200 meant to sustain that because it's more important. Whereas other buildings are not because it's less likely to happen. So basically what I'm getting at is these are once in a lifetime weather events that are happening right now, which are now meant to be, this is going to be happen more regular regularly. Yeah. And none of our structures are up to the standards to which they are meant to sustain against this. No, the, the weather theoretically events, the weather events that happen. were predicted to happen once in a thousand years yeah, might now happen once every 50 years or once every 10 years or, or the ones that less. happen. Yeah. Or the ones that are happening once every 200 years or every year now. Yes. Um, those are hyperbolic examples, but not necessarily. But mm, I, I, mean, I can't speak We can on this only subject. say we based on what happens going forward. We don't know what the next year holds. But Add to that, that talk last week about the lunar orbit wobbling just enough so that 2030 is going to see an increase in tides and severe floodings on the coast. I forgot about that. Yeah. Am I going to still be alive? Um, who, who's to say? Two years. That's nine years. How old am yeah, I? You I should don't know. still be alive. Two more Shit. than me. <laughs> it's less than two. Yes. Anyhow, two things I just want to add before we move on from this. We have been able to sustain this society that we've built over the last 10,000 years based on farming, which is based on predictable weather patterns. If we don't have predictable weather patterns, we do not have this glorious discovery that is farming. Like the farmers and we almanac. do not have our society. Even now, you see the failure of crops in many places around the world and just changes the climate that we can't predict at this point and therefore can't change our crops accordingly. And even if we could change the crops, a lot of the things that we like take several years to grow. Hmm. Like grapes take four years to actually get a product out. Yeah. Oh no, the wine. Wine's <laughs> fine for now. Okay, okay. We got a lot of water here. Okay. Although we're being told to restrict our water use by 30% less. So let's see if people actually do that because they still want their green grass. And I would like to do an episode on grass just to show that it is a terrible thing to throw out there. Last yeah. thing I would like to say, even if you feel that we're late acting to... Take the people of Zhengzhou into account. There is an old Chinese proverb, and it says that the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago, but hmm. the second best time to plant a tree is right now. So if you can take actions, it is never too late to at least try. Yes, a good one. there is a lot of heat that is going to develop in Earth and a certain amount of temperature that we can't just offset at this point, barring some miracle technology that I don't want you to think about because that is just pie-eyed in the sky, putting off your efforts to something else. Take the yeah, steps you can now. It's worth the effort, even though it seems hopeless. And have anything else to add? No, that's it. Okay. Uh, I'd just like to say, I'm sure it's all going to be okay. And I think we should just start the music right now. 
From the unexplained to the mundane, why don't you come join us on our journey to the fringe? Hello and welcome to Journey to the Fringe. We are your podcast of people. Yeah, people that like to talk to you about things that are fringy. Hello, I am your normal host, Taylor, together here with our friend and ever vigilant Craig. Today we have special guest Chelsea. Also normal. Say hi, Chelsea. I'm normal too. And today we are surprisingly not just talking about climate change although we're going to talk a bit about just perplexing issues that are impacting the world based on very strange reasons that whatever they may be are uh, kind of fucked up just to give me some bleeping efforts to go into this week those things today i'm gonna expand a little bit on our recycling episode it's not really the same topic but it mm. does draw in some of the issues that we face from that episode. Okay. And that is, we're going to talk a bit about some economic ideas that are outside of what might be in your normal thinking when you're out shopping. They are um, planned obsolescence. Um, It's it's lesser cousin who kind of is in the same category, perceived obsolescence. And Hmm. finally, a very strange one called shrinkflation. Normal things you think about when shopping. Yes, and you should be, but that we're going to talk about. It. So, okay, anyway, yes. So, do you have any idea? Have you heard any of those terms before? None of them. Okay. So, you're out there, you've got an idea for a product. Let's say it is a genuine, bona fide motorcycle that will last you your entire life. Okay. Should you sell that product? Do I want to sell it or do yeah, I want to Do you want to sell it? that? No. So, you're selling this product. Okay. Yes, I want to sell it. Why do you want to sell that product? Because it is a good, durable product that is good for people to want to buy, and I want people to buy it. Okay. In essence, that does seem like the right answer. But (laughs) this is the problem with the world that we've created, in that if you have a product that is too durable, you are going to not necessarily price yourself, but edge yourself out of the market because you will no longer have any customers left. If people you sell will want a product it because it lasts long and it is sturdy and hardy. People people will want that, but you will only get them once. And then they will recommend me. Yes, but even then, only those people will buy it once. When let's say you put something in there, you still have a really good motorcycle, but you're going mm. to build Dude. a very special type of spark plug that mm. you know what is the only one that will fit in there and it dies after 2 years. And it oh. is irreplaceable. And you still have a hell of a motorcycle. You, Yeah, I can see the disgust. And I think you know where I'm going with this. My motorcycles do look nice. Yeah. And in fact, you know what? We're even going to change the model up every two years. So that when these spark plugs die out, you don't even feel like you're buying the same motorcycle. You're buying something that is different because it looks different. It looks sleeker. We've advertised it accordingly. And you know what? That is okay because you know what I just did? I just increased your sales 50 fold because people are not just buying it once for a hundred year lifespan or whatever it may have been. Now they're buying one every two years. They're awful. This is 
is an example, a, a terrible example, but an example nonetheless of something called planned obsolescence. I feel like that was the perfect example. Okay, perfect. I, I totally get behind what you're saying, and we are awful as a species. I'm going to go through an example of several ways that the idea of planned obsolescence may manifold. But in mm. any event, what the idea of planned obsolescence is, is getting you to buy a product prior than a normal life cycle would require. So okay. the first idea, choosing materials and manufacturing techniques that create a shoddier, more breakable product making the product impossible or cost prohibitive to repair, creating style choices that will have limited temporary appeal, changing the way people interact with the product so that previous versions become amusable, or sabotaging the product so it becomes less and less functional on the manufacturer's timeline. It's hard to say that it is all in this category uh, collectively evil. Because that first part, choosing materials and manufacturing techniques that create a shoddier, more breakable product, technically could also just be interpreted as making a cheaper, easier to access product. And that is a lot of the ways people will talk about this. If you're on the also... other side of it. So if you're using cheaper materials, yes, it will break faster, but yes. at least a lower um a lower income person can now access this product yeah. and we are at a point now where basically we are living in the most luxury if you're above the poverty line that human beings have ever existed within no matter where you are if you're above the poverty line you're doing pretty good yeah now the question always is is where's the poverty line drawn that is a debate for a very later date um unlearning so economics actually just had a mm -hmm. great video on this and uh, Richard Wolf does talk about the idea of where do we draw the poverty line. And, it's loaded. Uh, yeah. Uh, look at the Gravel, the Gravel Institute has a great video on this uh, with Richard Wolf. So if those are things you want to talk about the poverty line, go look at Unlearning Economics or Richard Wolf on the Gravel Institute. This is something that goes in line with an idea I believe called late stage capitalism It's capitalism has run its course. Competition is dwindling and the chance to make profit is very limited to several smaller scopes. Either you have to cut the cost of your inputs, you have to cut the amortization value of your machines you're using to make products, or you have to cut labor. One of those three things, there's really nothing else when you're at a late stage point. Yep. That is the simplest way I can do it. And I am, I will fully admit it, simplifying things well beyond where they should. If you want to learn more about these ideas, go look somewhere else because I'm not going to get into it at this point. Yeah, we're just but, making it for the people. Yeah, I want this to be approachable. So how far back do you think this idea goes? I'm going to say, I'm okay. not going to say the industrial revolution, but I'm going to probably say pretty close as a genuine guess. Okay. You're not that far off, depending on where you define the industrial revolution at. And I do have to say one thing that is paramount to a lot of the things. Do we're not define it, here. by the way. <laughs> okay. One of the things we're going to be talking about here is with planned obsolescence, it does need some sort of buy-in from the market at large on the supplier's side. 
because if you are a small time dealer in a market and you decide to put planned obsolescence in your product and nobody else does, you are going to put yourself out of business in a longer fashion, but in that fashion, nonetheless. I guess so. So you either need to have a monopoly, an oligopoly, or a late stage, well-defined product. Oh. So first and foremost, we're going to look back to the 1920s and we're going to actually look at light bulbs. And this all existed in the 1920s? Monopoly, oligopoly. Sorry, I'm, I should define terms. When I'm talking about when I'm talking about oppies or oligopies. Or oppies. Not jalopies. Those are a different thing. But oligopolies, okay. oligopolies and monopolies. Monopolies means you are the only producer of a product in a market an oligopoly means it is a close-knit group of producers that are okay. the only producers in the market and Let's they go back will to the 20s? this idea of planned obsolescence goes back to the 1920s at least the idea of oligopolies goes way further back than that so we're just gonna we're gonna leave that out oh my gosh okay but we're actually okay. gonna talk about light bulbs this is a very interesting thing. Chelsea, did you know from this time period we're talking about the 1920s, there is still a light bulb today burning from that time period? What? Yeah. None of my light bulbs, that's for sure. None of your light bulbs. None of them. Uh, like, not, no, none of them. There's actually a webcam that you can look at. It's called the Centennial Light Bulb. And Oops. you can go on the centennialbulb.org. And it is a webcam that updates itself every is it 30 seconds with it a, is. yeah with a light bulb that has been in a fire department since sorry i did not put the year here but i believe it's about 1915 and it yeah, has been on the entire time like to me here's what i would do i would buy that light bulb for a higher price and is that bad? Or would you rather make a lower price to continue? Well, it really depends. And this light bulb Maybe isn't... this is further along for me. This is not necessarily it. a great light bulb. Like, if you look at that second I would buy that there from 2015, that's about the dimness of it. I would buy that. It's still working. It's fine. I only see one light bulb, but okay. So, <laughs> light bulbs can actually last a really long time. And even in, like, the period of 1920s, 1910s, light bulbs' active life was somewhere between 1,500 and 3,000 hours on average. Okay. But in 1925, on January 15th in Switzerland, a contingent of the largest light bulb manufacturers in the world, which included General Electric and Philips, among several others, met and they determined in a 30-year agreement that the useful life of light bulbs should not exceed 1,000 hours. This, I, I don't even know what to say right now. With these corporations making all their decisions for us people, they're just the little people who want to live our lives nicely and not hurt the earth and be nice to other people. And this is just, I hate corporations is what I'm getting at by all this blabber that I'm saying right now. Corporations are the fucking devil. Yeah. So this... And for all of this flooding and extreme weather and everything, I hope it wipes off corporations from the face of this earth. I'm yeah. sorry. I said it right now. 
if, if you truly do not like Sorry. corporations, I do not. I believe they are a mask on the darkness that is humanity. They are. It's to not hide they're this people. They're... Um, look into Richard Wolf, last name with two Fs, W O L F F. Very interesting left leaning economist who believes in the dissolution of corporations to move to a more co op based system. To go back to this, this famously became known as the Phoebus cartel in 1925. And Marxist, he's, yes, he is Marxist. Just had to put that in there. He has, sev <laughs> <laughs> he has several very long form. Sorry. He's, he's a professor. Um, I can't remember saying where he's notable. Yeah. Whenever you hear the term Marxist, that just means they agree with Marx's critiques on capitalism. That's yeah. literally all it means. Yeah, can't say they're wrong, but and we could definitely do an episode on that. I don't know if you know his critiques on capitalism, but we can go over those in a very okay. different episode. Because right now, okay. I want to focus on late stage capitalism issues, which okay, Marx sorry. did talk about. <laughs> Marx did talk about these, but in different ways. <laughs> okay. 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 So they created this cartel where they all had an agreement as the larger producers in the world that they were going to cap the useful life of all light bulbs at 1000 hours. And this agreement was to be for 30 years, but it was cut short due to World War II. Okay. This is really the first example in the world of planned obsolescence saying, you know what, if we just cap the useful lives, and they were actually, yeah. there is documentation going into Phillips and a few of the other producers that were involved in this, where they actually looked at like correspondence from this time and literally people in managerial positions saying, can you make this thing last a shorter period of time? I mean, I can't say that I don't get why they're doing it, but it's evil. It's it is evil. exclusively for the purpose of creating a consumerist-based economy and getting more money from people. That's literally it. It's evil. Yeah. It's but exploitation. From, it's it exploitation. Is, it is, is exploitative because, yeah. and especially when you're doing your due diligence and looking into products, how are you to know that behind the scenes, these people all agreed at some random point in time that these products are only going to last a thousand hours. Yeah. And especially if you were picking something else at that time and it was lasting 2,500 hours. But at the yeah. same time, who's to say these people even understood what that meant? Because light bulbs were a fashion trend or uh, I, just an uppity thing that the young kids like to use at 11 say. p.m. to dance. When it comes to anything at all that I'm researching, it's planned obsolescence no. or anything you such. And I can't tell you right now because I forget everything when I'm put on the spot. I didn't what put I'm you on the spot if that helps. It's very easy to put me on the spot, <laughs> but it's not something that I would think to look into. Now that I'm on the spot with myself, it's just me, myself now. I don't even know what I look into or what I even want to buy. But <laughs> It's not something that would be top of mind. Yeah. What lasts? Maybe it is now. Okay, take over quick. <laughs> okay. Okay. So that is just that's my first example here. And okay. like I said, these products could last. There's one from this time period mm -hmm. that is literally still burning today. That's the one I want. It's again, not bright enough. But and this again, in theory, this could also bring down the price of the light bulb, but that was not the purpose of why they lowered the useful life of this product. Is that talking even now? Would it be lowering the value of it if it lasts longer? What do you mean? Like if you were to buy this light bulb that lasts a million years, 
Yeah. Wouldn't like to me that wouldn't bring the price down. That depends because if it burns a million years because it has yeah. platinum in its its connectors, then yes, the price will be a lot higher than the tungsten that they use in it. No, I don't care about the platinum. No, but what I mean, like I want is, the cheaper copper plan, the yeah, copper one that burns. If you want the cheaper copper one, it's going yeah. to burn out faster. It's just that no. simple. Okay, so I would buy like I don't want to pass it on to my grandkids, but I want it to last my whole life. Yeah, that's fair. Oh, if you average it, I would pay a little bit more to have it my whole life versus buying it every year. But Let's at the same time, too, I say and, I'm used to spending on light bulbs. And with especially in certain industries, shortening the shelf life also allows them to keep up with technological changes, which uh, in theory can be a positive for the consumer as well. Okay. Not always, but correct. it can be. Oh, that's correct. But do I care how my light bulbs look? Now they're back again. in trend if they look like that. Like you just yeah, come around I know. again. So that's all okay. we talked about so far is light bulbs. Let's move on to the next thing. Okay, fine. Chelsea, have you ever bought nylons? I have. Okay. I did for your wedding just recently. Oh, yes, three years ago. <laughs> Not just recently now. <laughs> they are so, wrecked in the garbage. You know why nylons were invented? Why? N yeah, well, sorry, where the material for nylons come from? Witchcraft. Kind of, but not really. Okay. They, okay. The material not. used in nylons actually were used for parachutes in World War II. I didn't know that. Yeah, no. once World War II ended, the demand for parachutes just plummeted. Okay. And DuPont was the company that created them. The big plastic okay. guys. And they said, you know what? These would make a great material for women's hosiery. Hosiery. Is that the right okay. way to say it? Hosiery? Yeah, okay. I think so. I don't okay. really say it like that, so I'm just going to say yes. How do you say it? it Hosiery? Okay. <laughs> so, okay, before this, it was silk and cotton that women's hosiery was made of. It was not the best material for what they had it designed to do. Nylon's a great, it's a durable material. It stretches, and most importantly, it's very cheap to use. Yeah. And in 1939, they created nylons for women's legs to make your legs look silky, shiny, smooth. Yeah. Now, the nylons that they came out nice. with were not the ones that you would look at today and say, oh, look, your legs look so nice. They would be a lot thicker then because people in the 1930s and 40s were more modest. And these things were built to last. So if you <laughs> bought one, you were maybe buying one or two pairs of nylons over the course of your entire life. That's incredible. And DuPont saw this. And they said, man, we are not taking advantage of this market. And they decided to thin out the material that is in nylon, late 1940s, early hmm. 1950s. A lot of these products to simply, it's called laddering. So when you put them on and they split hmm. and you can see those little materials going across, yeah. they ladder. And when they ladder, they are no longer something that you want to necessarily wear and they are thrown out. As a female, I can attest, you put it on and then you get a big run just from putting it on. I will save my other story for once you're done with this. Okay. So they went from selling in the 1940s, one or two pairs over the course of someone's entire life, to putting a concerted effort into people wanting a thinner version to make their legs look silky, smooth, and sheer, oh. to selling people a product once or twice or maybe five or six times a year because hmm. they lessened the quality of their product to ensure people were buying more and made record profits because of it. Yeah. Go ahead. I just referenced your wedding 
And I literally bought those to wear those once and they were put in the garbage at the end of your wedding because I destroyed them that night. (laughs) Maybe that attests to me and maybe that attests to the good time of your wedding. But as a female, if you do not put your foot in right into nylons now, you get a run in them and then they are pretty much garbage. And I didn't even think of nylons and that was an intentionally concerted effort to lessen a product's durability to ensure more sales in the future i didn't even think about that i was thinking well you were running through that cell phones cars i had a million examples until you just said nylons and i didn't even think about that and you can ruin a pair of nylons by putting your foot in the wrong way yep very intentionally those bastards Okay, next one. I'm going to skip a little bit ahead just to give one that everybody can kind of attest to. Sorry, not everybody, but at least people from my generation. Chelsea, we both had flip phones. I think physically the most notable thing between a flip phone and a smartphone was the battery. First off, with batteries that we had on our flip phones, they lasted a month, maybe a week if you're really using it, but they lasted forever. And if your battery went bad, you could replace it. You could, in fact, bring replacement batteries. And I don't know how many people here have. There are very select few with smartphones that can, but... For the most part, smartphones are now built with batteries not exposed. Internal batteries. Yeah, internal batteries that are not exposed to the public that cannot be replaced by anybody but the company who sold you the phone under warranty. And most importantly, have special screws that you Ah. can't access unless you have, I have an Apple phone, unless you have the special Apple screwdriver, you can't actually remove anything because they have special screws. Well, you just said another thing here, and I don't know if you're going to get into it down the line, but you just said warranty, which I think now that you're getting into it, I never would have thought about this before, but I feel like that has a huge part in what you're talking about. It sure does. I wasn't specifically going to touch on it, but we definitely can. Yeah, so it's probably to the maximum amount that is comfortable for them prior to this running out. So first and foremost, when we're talking about that, the first thing that is going to give out on a phone is the battery because batteries are charged and discharged so many times. And every time you do that, it Mm -hmm. lessens its strength that it will be the majority of the time the thing that gives out first. So by putting it at a spot in the phone that is inaccessible to the vast majority of people, you have now made it so that people are going to buy a new phone a majority of the time earlier just because they can't replace a certain piece of the product. In my experience, that's exactly it. That's been exactly what I've had to replace everything for. Yeah. And the battery. It actually gets a little further than that. Chelsea, do you know of a thing called Battery Gate? This is a thing that happened in 2016 after a Apple update on their software. People with older style phones suddenly noticed that their phones were dying at 30% battery. What? And it turns out Apple says, just for disclaimer purposes, that this is totally unintentional. 
But that their phones, because of the update, actually got their battery more or less fried and made them unusable. After 30% or just in general? No, once, once their phone would reach 30%, it would just die. And because these were older phones, they already didn't hold that much of a charge. So you just took off about 30% of the usable life of that phone. I've never heard of that. Yeah. Unintentionally on Apple's part, I put in quotations because that's how Apple perceives it. They made it so that they would force people to upgrade their phone earlier than what would normally occur. They did apologize. They offered a discount on battery replacements in 2017 for a select few and for a very short period of time. How modest of them. It's very considerate of them as a corporation just in general to be able to offer any type of discount because they're so hard done by. And this goes into every product you can think of when it comes to laundry machines. The spinning drum within some laundry machines are impossibly hard to replace because it's easier to just buy a new one. Yeah. And the closing mechanism it. on the door is intentionally made with plastic materials that will break over time because they're incredibly hard to replace and incredibly expensive to require you to go out and buy a new one. This is so fucking depressing. And just to just, go... Just all a product of our stupid, shitty society. Just to go a one step further, Chelsea, yeah. have you ever had to I use a printer? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. One you don't think about, but as soon as I say that, you exactly yeah. know what I'm going to talk about. It's cheaper to buy a new printer than it is to buy an ink cartridge. Yes. And in fact, did you know that they put microchips in printers now to stop them from printing after a period of time? What? Into sorry, into the that ink has cartridges. To be illegal. Into the ink cartridges. There is nothing in most that of the world that stops up. that from being illegal. So there will still be ink in the cartridge. But because of the chip that they put into the ink cartridge, your printer will not recognize that there is ink in there and it will not print. I'm about to smash open all the printers I have because I have two of them. They do different things. Yeah, uh, no, they are currently I'm not going to smash one of them. They are currently in lawsuits in France over this right now because France says it is planned obsolescence and the, the printer companies say that this is just a method to protect the printer, nothing less. Oh, this is, I just had the word and it just escaped me now. This is, this is corruption. This is a Ponzi scheme. It's a Ponzi scheme. It's a, it's a Ponzi scheme. I, I could throw out four or five or six or seven or ten words right now that this is. And it's not ethical. None of it is ethical. This is taking advantage where you could sell a product that's a little bit more that is going to last you longer. Yeah. But this is something that is not, you look at buyer beware and there is an extent that I feel this is just taking advantage of it. As if you were offered the option of here, you can buy this thing that's a little cheaper, this fits your budget. It's going to break down in two years or you can pay a little bit more money and this is going to last you 10 years or you can pay this extravagant amount. This is going to last you your entire lifetime. Yeah, <sighs> it's put all onto the buyer of buyer beware and you have to do all your research yet everything on the market now is built to break down. 
It all is. And like I've used before, and I think I used it in the recycling episode, this is an obfuscated market. It is meant to be confusing so that the end user doesn't actually know what's happening or the things that they need to take into account. And then what happens to all of this? I'm looking at my washing machine right now. What if the door doesn't close and we go, oh, it's cheaper to just buy an entire new dryer. Yep. What happens to that dryer? It goes into the dump. And, then and they sorry, it gets it broken down. One. But yes. Yeah. And then um, it just gets replaced with another one that, you know, and if I'm dumb, which <laughs> I probably am, gets replaced with another one that lasts five to seven years. And then, you know, it's cheaper to buy a new one. And then it's gone again. And that's two dryers into the dump that is may or may not be recycled into something new, which based on a recycling episode, probably not. Yeah. And I do just have to add because we are talking about dryers. Dryers are one of the most wasteful sinks of energy in your household. If you have the opportunity, I would highly suggest line dry as most of Asia does. If it continues to hit 40 degrees, you have your opportunity. Dries instantly. (laughs) I can't even deal with this. Well, and one thing I just want to touch on a little bit at this point, part of the reason it's so expensive to repair this thing is because it's hard to come by the replacement parts. And who do you think is responsible for producing those replacement parts? Yeah, they can company who wants you to buy the and, new thing. And then it's supply and demand, which this is fucked up. Everything that you're saying right now is just fucked up. And then it's supply and demand. So we first have buyer beware. And now we have it supply and demand. And if the company that's making part for it is only supplying so many things, then it's supply and demand. And then the cost goes, that is fucked up. I can't even say fucked up enough on this. Okay. We're going to have to put in a, a lot of bleeps that are going to come in. And like then from now. <laughs> this is one that's just, I'm going to touch on a few things. I didn't write this down. This is just all things that I'm going to ad lib from past things it. that I've read about. The first one being the entire car tire industry, which at one point made a concerted effort from going to a long mileage tire and putting research effort into a longer mileage tire and said, said, you know what? People are going to buy less tires if we increase the mileage. So let's just go towards a more sports performance based tire. And the entire industry went that way. Instead of saying, you know what? Maybe we just replace tires less. Of course, the entire industry went that way because of the entire industry. It's corporate. They're all going to go that way to make more money. This yeah. is, I can't even, like the plastic episode was like something else. And with this one, I'm just like. You are unaware. Corporate world is fucked. It's so then, bad. It has no consideration for humans as all. It has a different perception of ethics. The nicest way I can put it is it has a different perception of ethics than it's I not would a say. human creation. Yeah. It has no regard for human beings as anything. Simplest way I can put it. And it is so this is the most frustrating thing I the recycling episode was like, yeah, okay, like it's difficult. And this is just uh I can't we've had too many episodes where it's like humans are fucked corporations like this is awful the last part i want to touch on in this part is something called a vulture capital group this sounds not good either this is yeah. just gonna set me off more a vulture, vulture capitalists who in some perceptions of their company what they do is they will buy companies with a perceived 
high quality, as soon as they buy it, immediately lessen the quality and take advantage of the profits that can be made in that short period of time until people realize that the quality is no longer there. Chelsea, have you ever owned anything by Pyrex, the oven glass container company? I think so. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Is that and how you say it? Pyrex? I, it's either Pyrex or Pyrex. And this yeah. is, again, I'm ad-libbing this one. Yeah. 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 They yeah. got bought by a vulture capitalist company oh. about 10 years ago now who immediately lowered the quality of Pyrex. And if you've ever wondered, you say, huh, they just don't make it like they used to. Yes, that was an intentional option on that part and why Pyrex no longer work as well as they did. That is just one example of it. I am speechless. This is awful it's just awful it's it's so bad that's so bad okay next we've talked about planned obsolescence i am going to talk about its lesser family member called perceived obsolescence okay and where we're gonna go with this is i'm not ready but first and foremost we are gonna go to the automobile industry i have a lot of gripes with the automobile industry but this part is just one of them and you will see people use interchangeably planned obsolescence and perceived obsolescence because they are very close in what they are i can't i just i don't mean to interject but it's just it's taking advantage possibly and you're gonna see that actually more with perceived obsolescence i'm gonna see it more yeah so okay continue this is something we all need to know Perceived obsolescence in cars can be traced back to about 1924 when president of General Motors, Alfred P. Sloan Jr., decided that his company actually needed annual design changes for vehicles manufactured to encourage consumers to get new replacements yearly. Although Mr. Sloan described it as dynamic obsolescence, critics were quick to point out that it was planned obsolescence. The strategy worked marvelously for the company as it soon became the dominant force in the industry. The rest of the auto industry begrudgingly followed suit and the smaller automakers who couldn't maintain the expense of yearly designs phased out. So this is perceived Perceived obsolescence is the tweaking and adjustment of aesthetics only to make people believe that they now need to buy a new version of the product. This happens in absolutely every industry. This is the 1920s when it started. Oh my god. But you can really see it first and foremost in automobiles where it first shows up. But Apple is a big proponent of perceived obsolescence. As are many in the technology industry, as are many in the fashion industry, car industry, yeah, the toy industry. Any- and this is really just making you believe that the product you already have is obsolete. Yeah. Based like, this is- on marketing and tweaks to the design. I don't even know how to describe what's going on in my head right now. You look at trends and fashion and what is new and what everybody has this season, everything. And it all like makes its rounds. Yeah. Like the 90s get popular again. The 80s get popular again. The 70s. And you notice those cycles are getting faster and faster too, hey? They are. And right now I think it's the 90s again. So I'm like, yeah, "Yeah, like this is when I grew up. Like, that's cool. But But the only reason for that is so you buy more. And I could have just kept all my shit in the first step. Exactly. 
And I especially see this with women's clothing too. You notice that um, women's clothing is designed to be thinner so that you can layer it. But guess what? Thinner clothing is cheaper to make cheaper, and yeah. also more prone to break, yeah. which is planned obsolescence if you're making something thinner. So it's intentionally something you're going to buy more and of. Does this relate to fast fashion as well? Exactly does. Uh, where I've been thrifting more. I thrift a lot. And... I noticed before I don't buy anything new anymore. I thrift and I find better stuff thrifting. But anything that you buy new now, it's shit. Be completely honest. Like if you buy from H&M or whatever, depending on where you're buying from, you're looking for cheap just so you can buy a lot of clothes. It's probably going to be really bad quality. But oh, that's so crazy. Like I knew that was happening, which yeah. is why I prefer to thrift. But I never yeah. like, and you talk about what you're talking about now. And I'm like, okay, that's obviously cell phones, which I mean, I've had my cell your, phone your now. Bi- for- your biggest examples will be cell phones, automobiles, fact, but yeah. they're not the only. And it's just, it's much more subtle with a lot of other things, but they are definitely out there. I have a lot less examples of perceived obsolescence, but yeah. it's just because it is so much just our entire world is built around a consumer culture and it is just meant yeah replace things as many times as possible and it ties so much into the plastic where we were told this stuff is made to throw out these forks knives and everything take it to a barbecue you throw it in the garbage you don't have to clean up and it's the same when you look at sorry h&m h&m is fast fashion i bought that it you can't wear it more than 20 times it breaks it's horrible. It's thin. It's made to be destroyed. That's something that I've definitely been focusing more on is thrifting so that it's not fast fashion and it's not something that's going right into a dump. But cell phones too. I mean, I'm not the one to follow the fashion, the, I mean, fashion trends with the cell phones. I don't need a new cell phone every year. But they're yeah. obviously made to break. And the one thing I wanted to bring up with cell phones, because it didn't come up, I know you're talking about cell phones. The thing that really drew me to Samsung from the iPhone, and I think it was the Samsung 3, you could put in a memory card and you could change the battery. Whereas the iPhone, you could not. And now, now that it's come along, after I think it was the Samsung 3, after that, you couldn't replace the battery. They took it out. Which I was super disappointed in coming from the iPhone that you. But nobody else in the industry does that anymore. So it's. But he does it. Yeah. It's just you. You get what you get. Because if and this is the whole hard part. Once you have a large enough group in the industry doing it, you put yourself at a competitive disadvantage to actually offer it because people are going to buy less of your phone, even if they buy your phone. They're going to buy less of it. And even if they're choosing your phone over others, if people are choosing the other phones that are getting replaced and they are a large enough part of the market that it is still profitable, they're going to make more money than you. It's just simple as that. I guess I was just going to say, comment on that as well, that I guess if that's where the market's going and they're not making as much money off of offering that option to buy a new battery that it lasts longer whereas you can just buy a new form for more money yeah which doesn't make sense to me but each their own now i have to buy it with a new battery i am gonna move on to the next topic now which is the last form of what i want to talk about it is slightly different than what we are talking about but chelsea when you're 
at the grocery store, mm-hmm. how are you perceiving a price change in products? Vegetables? In anything at the store. I'm perceiving it in vegetables. No, I just mean like if you were to see a change in the okay. price of a product, how would you go about noticing it? I'd be like, wow, that's more expensive. Yes, it's more expensive, right? Yeah, because I have a budget. Okay, but is there anything, any... More with vegetables because they're either in season or out of season. Okay, so, but what you're looking at is the price point, right? Yeah, because I have a budget. Okay. I need to fit into that budget. I need to show you something. And this is from the words of... See it now that you're you're gonna see it it's gonna be from the words of ryan from the office we are watching bj novak on the conan o'brien show tell an anecdotal story about noticing a discrepancy in the size of cadbury cream eggs over the years and showing proof that cadbury was in fact lying about the size not getting smaller i would highly recommend watching it please search on youtube conan o'brien bj novak cadbury cream egg and we will leave a link in the description I don't even know what to say at this point. What? BJ Novak, who plays Ryan in the office. Yeah. What they are describing there is something known as shrinkflation. And it is where instead of increasing the price of a product, they in fact imperceptibly change the amount of product you are purchasing. And uh-huh. in that in that sense, yes, you can clearly see it. But there are many examples of this where they imperceptibly to the consuming eye change the size of the product. Peanut butter is probably the easiest example I can give to you. And that is they took two ounces out of the average peanut butter container over a period of time by simply increasing the dimple at the bottom of the container. That is deceitful. Yeah, but they put the amount of ounces in the container on both of them. And here, I'll give you a very clear view of it okay. because- Yeah, I, I oh, get- Oh, sorry. I, it's, yeah, uh... There's nothing protecting consumers from this deceitful, the deceitful actions that they're taking. So there is an entire subreddit on just this category called. Uh, I totally sh- understand it, but there's nothing. Arshing, there's all these. There's yeah. all these things protecting corporations against things like this, but there's nothing protecting the consumers. It's buyer beware for consumers. I can't even wrap my head around this because it's just it is lies. We change things expecting yeah. that people, it's buyers beware. Okay. So these imperceptibly are the exact same containers of peanut butter, but one of them holds 10% less peanut butter. And it is because the dimple on the bottom of the container, which saved the company 10%. So in essence, the price of that peanut butter actually went up 10% without the price changing at all. That's messed up because to me, like I just said, there's nothing this is all protecting the corporation. Well, there's no laws about it because look at it. They clearly marked it on their container fully up front too. this shrinkflation is impacting recycling because guess what? If there's less product in there, you're throwing it out faster. Simple as that. And let's just go. This is the subreddit known as shrinkflation. I'm going to shout out to it because it's a very interesting thing. And it's just people that notice changes in product size. Here it is. Scott's toilet paper, 2019 versus 2021. They look, put the two rolls side by side, and they put them on a scale. 
2019 had 6.46 ounces. And in 2021, the same roll is 5.78 ounces. And this is not something that is going to be regularly checked by Joe Blow. No. And this is the saddest one in my mind. Kirkland brand toilet paper went from 425 sheets per roll to 380, which is a change from 1,592 square feet to 1,425 square feet. That is, again, about a 10% drop. And this is all without... I mean, I and feel like they I, would again, fall if you back want, on fire. Beware. Yeah, if you want more examples, please go to the subreddit known as Shrinkflation or give your own because these are just awful. Like um, Tostitos, over the course of a year, they lost two ounces. Can't even. I don't even know how to react to this at this time. Like, I, I knew it was a thing, but I didn't know it was such a thing. And it's disgusting and it's all at the dime of corporations which i despise in the first place because they're not human they have no regard for humans it's absolutely awful this corporations are the absolute worst thing that has come from humanity Um, they're not humans they're absolutely something else can't yeah febreze again if you look at that is yeah. fucking deceptive unless you're looking at the amount of milliliters that is in there. It is deceptive. And yeah. like why why do corporations why are they allowed to get away with this? If you look at deodorant too, like it's probably the biggest one because it is in an opaque container that you never actually look inside. The bottom half of the container of deodorant is empty. It looks I, like they filled the entire thing. They never do. It's, and this is just this is a way to get more money out of you by putting less product in there, but without anything, raising the price. Anything that you can't see what's actually in there, that's absolutely what they're doing. And it's with makeup, lotion, anything like that, food, and I can't I wish oh, that I one mean, is deceptive. Sorry, I'm just looking at this one here. Dean, you see that? This is premium mango chutney out of the UK. And they change it from 320 grams to 230 grams, making it the same numbers involved in the jar. 230, no matter which one you have. 320, but it has a heavier jar. It's bigger. Yeah. But if you're just grabbing and you're used to those numbers, it's going to work. Corporations are the absolute worst, disgusting pieces of humanity. One thing that I can be happy for is that we have a platform. And this, we have a platform to speak our voices. Corporations, I can say, just talked about global warming and everything. And Mother Earth is Mother Earth. It's just trying to correct wrongdoings. And we have to deal with it. But what we've just been talking about it is humanity. And corporations are a plague. They are the absolute worst of humanity. They do not care about humans. They do not care about anything. They care about the bottom dime. We saw it in Ecuador. We saw it in recycling. We see it in this episode, and I'm so glad that we have something to make our voices heard, as small or big as it may be. Only in the future, it'll be bigger. But it is absolutely disgusting how corporations are allowed to operate. And I guess your money is where your mouth is, is how I can say about that, because I'm not even sure 
how they're able to operate as they are because it is exactly if you were to take all the humans in the world I bet you 100% they would not want something like this to be operating in our world. There's at least yeah. 90% of people, I believe, if you just ask them, is this ethical? They would say no. It's not ethical. And it, yet- it really depends on how you phrase the question. But if you were to phrase it the way we've just explained everything, if you were yeah. to say, is this practice ethical? Most people would say it's not. And you wonder if it's not people having all the information, but is it not also does it have to do with the stock market and other people wanting to make money from the stock market? It always does. Yeah. Because Chelsea, like we always well, know. Money is all, the golden yeah. rule, right? No, and profits always go to everything. The, yeah, the capitalist class. Mm-hmm. and. If they can change, like we talked about those three inputs, you have your materials, you have your machines, and you have your labor. If you can decrease the cost of any of those three things, what you just saved now goes to profits. When you're decreasing the amount of product you're putting in, you just decrease the cost of materials. You also might have decreased the cost of labor because you have to put less material in it. It's a be all end all. All that money that you just saved is going to the capital class. And that's where you get a growing, growing, growing discrepancy, the the profit group between high class and low class. Yeah, well, if I were to describe it, I would say it's a discrepancy Mm -hmm. between the capital and working class. But that is based on Marxist theory. So again, you guys take with that what you will. It's based on exploitation. Because it's not information that is readily available. And it is I... (laughs) I don't even know how to respond to it at this point. It is, I have no words. It's but awful. This is awful. I, I can send everyone away with a few things to learn and maybe move forward with from this episode. First and foremost, planned obsolescence. I talked a little bit about France's lawsuit against the printer companies. That is because France has a planned obsolescence law that literally says... If you partake in planned obsolescence, which is techniques by which a manufacturer aims to deliberately reduce the life of a product to increase its replacement rate, you can be punished by up to two years in prison and a fine of 300,000 euros. This passed in 2017. Why don't we have all these people in jail? This is, this is where company. this is where the printer lawsuit is happening right now, but it only but happens in France. How do we take part in this? Do we need to move to France? You no, know, you need to talk to your representatives in government about okay. getting a planned obsolescent law on the books in your region. Okay. It will Maybe. be tough, but if we can shine enough light on that, and yes, it is a very hard rule to actually talk about, but there needs to be something on the books. I wonder if we can't start something. Maybe we need to delete this right out of the episode, but this is crazy. I wasn't expecting this out of this episode. Next thing you can do, there's another type of law that is kind of passing through many countries right now. It is being talked about a lot in Europe, a little bit in North America, but it's the right to repair. A lot of these companies actually withhold the right to repair your own products because they don't necessarily sell you the product that you're using, or they make it so infuriatingly hard to actually repair the product that it's impossible to as a end stage. Just buy a new one. Legislation can be introduced that will 
will allow you the right to repair your own product. They have been introduced in many places in Europe. They are talked about in many places. But again, write your local representative about right to repair laws and look more into that. So I believe that covers at least planned obsolescence. Shrinkflation is a lot harder to talk about, but there are two things you can do as a consumer. The first one is really hard on you, and that is you should be calculating how much you're spending on products per 100 grams. Fucking sucks, but you should be. If you don't want to do that, it's not the same. If it's going up, you need to be calculating that to at least buy other products. But that doesn't always work. Or you can shop at places that already do that for you. Costco, on all of its products, put price per 100 grams. So either one, do that yourself. Two, shop at Costco. Or three, talk to your local grocery store about putting a price per 100 grams on the products. I don't know that most of them are local grocery stores. No, but whatever one you shop at, whether it be, and sorry, this is going to really localize us, save on Superstore Loblaws. I'm sorry, I can I can extend it. Trader Joe's, there you go. Whole Foods. Trader Joe's. I love Trader Joe's. Are laws more favorable to corporations? It is very hard to say that. It it is very hard to say that on a blanket canvas point of view. I believe in socialism. I am a Marxist-leaning individual. And I fully believe, yeah, they favor corporations because it allows the easy transition of capital from the working class to the capitalist class. So yes, I do believe that's how our laws are all set up. Most of our society is built to be that way. It's not always good, though. No, it's usually not good in my mind. And I do think the last piece of advice I can give you is if you are part of the working class, you should identify yourself as a proletariat, join with the other proletariats and overthrow the bourgeois class. Yeah, but that is a long term goal. We'll talk about that at a later date. I do want to leave you with a quote from the great Terry Pratchett when he's talking from the voice of Commander Vimes of the City Watch. And this is, I think, a good way of showing the world the way it is. The reason that the rich were so rich, Vimes reasoned, was because they managed to spend less money. Take Boots, for example. He earned $38 a month, plus allowances. A really good pair of leather boots cost $50. But an affordable pair of boots, which were sort of okay for a season or two, and then leaked like hell when the cardboard gave out, cost about $10. Those were the kind of boots Vimes always bought, and wore until the soles were so thin that he could tell where he was in Ankh-Morpork on a foggy night by the feel of the cobbles. But the thing was that the good boots lasted for years and years. A man who could afford $50 had a pair of boots that would still be keeping his feet dry in 10 years' time, while the poor man who could only afford a cheap boot would have spent $100 on boots in the same time and would still have wet feet. This was Captain Samuel Vine's boots theory of socioeconomic unfairness. Terry Pratchett, always poignant as ever. Rest in peace. With that, we are going to move on to another topic. This one was depressing as hell. We are probably going to move on to another depressing as hell episode. That was a hard episode. And I lived through the recycling episode and many other Warren episode. We work very hard. And all of this stuff is made to go in the garbage. 
and it's sad and it is taking advantage of this earth it's taking advantage of the humans that are on this earth and we all live together yet these corporations are something that is set apart from everything well and chelsea i do think i had to stop you there because you were putting a lot of blame on the consumer and we're both consumers i think pretty much everybody at we some point identifies themselves as consumers i don't know but- am i Blame on the consumer. I feel like I was trying I, not to put blame no, on the you're, consumer. No, you're trying to put power in the consumer. But at the end of the day, the only way a consumer can actually be on the same level as the producer is through government intervention. And that's where And that is why I say the yeah, only way. I know way... it's going to be very hard for people to accept this, but that's socialism. Well, it's not even socialism. It is regulated at capitalism. You need regulated capital. And I don't, I do not say that that is wrong by any means because what is happening with corporations is, it is absolutely wrong. It is absolutely disgusting. And Chelsea, I I do just want to clarify something. Regulating an industry is not socialism. It does not become socialism until you take a step to move the power of industry from the hands of a capitalist class to the working class. You can regulate an industry and still be capitalist. And that is it's a very hard thing for people to wrap their minds around. But socialism literally is only the moving of ownership of industry from the hands of the capitalists to the hands of the workers. It's Unless you're taking those steps, it is not socialism. No, we don't have the power. Honestly, as individual consumers, we do not Why? have the power. Why? Why shouldn't we? Why shouldn't we? We should. And corporations, I don't know how we created them in the first place. It shouldn't even be a thing should not be something that has power more they're more powerful than anything in this world they're more they're god i apologize for this i feel like i shouldn't because they are they're gods in this society they're i I don't disagree with you i have very ill perceptions of the corporations it's uh, i do too obviously i do too corporations are a mask on society that allows the wealthiest of us to give our darkest desires their open reign on the public and it's just it's the disgusting. way it is but with that we will cap it here because i feel like we've already lost enough subscribers to my socialist views but Hey, if you're still around, you don't mind them that much, I'm sure. (laughs) Stay tuned for next week where we'll just be talking about drugs. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Probably. (laughs) Okay. Till next time, everybody. Take care. I'm very sad now. Okay, goodbye. Thank you for listening to Journey to the Fringe. Uh, We are a new podcast, and we would very much so appreciate if you could like, subscribe, share, and if possible, provide a five-star review or some sort of feedback if you feel like there's anything we could be doing better. But five-star review is the best thing you can do for us, as it does help, unfortunately, in the world of algorithms. Yes. Please and thank you. And you can follow us on social media at Journey to the Fringe. We don't have all of them, so try searching it. Instagram, we're on Facebook. Right now we have a subreddit. And if there's anything you want to hear in the future, feedback, anything, you can email us at journeytothefringe at gmail.com. If there's something we're missing, 
that you'd like to see us on, please let us know. We only know what we know. So we're only and in so many places. Also, if you feel that we have gotten anything wrong, please let us know there as well, as we would really like to have the best information possible. We are mm-hmm. only as good as our research. And if you can provide anything further, it's a real help. Or if you want to share anything, we yes. will definitely, we're open to shares. So yes, thank you for listening and we'll see you in the next episode.